Welcome to the Power Podcast and our 2020 theme, Power Perspective. I'm your host, Malia Warner. This is episode 74, Lies of the Magpie, chapters 20 and 21. Hi, friends. Welcome. How is your summer going? We just got home from a family camping trip. We went out to the sand dunes, a place called the Little Sahara, about two and a half hours away. And all of this time that I have lived in Utah, I have never been there. It was amazing to hike and play on mountains entirely made of sand. It was really cool. And then on the way home, we took a long way home and we stopped and took a swim in some natural hot lava springs, the hot pots, they call them, and I'd never been there either. And I'm going to say this is a little perk of the COVID-19 quarantine because normally, were it not for quarantine and the cancellation of so many things, one of my sons would have been gone to scout camp this past week, and I would be preparing to leave for girls camp this coming Monday, and so there's no way that we would have been able to go on this little family camping trip. And I just want to share that to say that's a little power perspective principle that there are pros and cons, pluses and minuses. There's good and bad in every situation. And I just wanted to take a second and look on the bright side there that we're able as a family to go see some of these amazing places that are in our own backyard, really, that we have never been to. And speaking of perspective, since this is the Power Podcast and our theme this year is Power Perspective, and the theme is all about looking at life and seeing things in a new way, Today, I am going to share a couple of more chapters, the audio version of my book, Lies of the Magpie, that was released two weeks ago and hit a number one Amazon new release for both the Kindle version and then a week later, a number one Amazon new release for the paperback version also. And before playing these bonus audio chapters, I want to share a couple of messages and comments that I've received back from readers about how their perspective has changed from reading Lies of the Magpie. One reader said, I have never experienced postpartum depression. However, after reading the first part of this book, I've realized I've experienced some moments that I can relate to. This book helps me understand what some of my friends have struggled with. Malia not only addresses mental illness in this book, but shares personal stories that a lot of women can relate to. This book has taught me what postpartum depression looks like. I always thought it was just staying in bed all day and lacking motivation and ability to do daily tasks. I am thankful for Malia's insights. I feel that as new experiences come in the future, I can use the lessons taught in this book to understand and bless others who are struggling with mental illness. This is a valuable and captivating book. I highly recommend it to women in all stages of life. Another reader said, Malia, I am halfway through your book on Kindle and I have to tell you how amazing it is. I can't put it down. My kitchen, children, and husband are all on hold until I finish this book. Your writing is incredible, picturesque, and so true for those of us mother warriors who have had to experience postpartum depression. Thanks for giving us a voice. Thanks so much for writing such an incredible book. I have enjoyed every page and look forward to the rest. And I apologize about the house and the kids and this 
spouse, but I know every now and then I like to get lost in a good book. It just feels great to escape for a little while. So do make sure that when you pick up Lies of the Magpie, you don't have anything cooking on the stove or anything that could cause a potential fire because I'm hearing this from people. Here's a message I just got today. It says, confession. I rarely read books. Like I can count on one hand how many books I've read for pleasure as an adult. But I read your book. I couldn't put it down. I finished it in three days. Thank you for being relatable and raw and exposed. Women need more of this. The only reason I knew about postpartum depression anxiety is because of my experience as a nurse working in postpartum. It was never once spoken amongst my family or friends. The stigma of depression and anxiety needs to be gone. I could go on and on. I won't bore you, but I wanted to thank you. You are welcome, and thank you for taking the time to send me a message. That means a lot to me to hear from readers and to hear about your experiences with Lies of the Magpie. And the last comment I will share today is a great segue into today's sample chapters 20 and 21. The message said, I sat and read chapters 11 to 30 all at once on Memorial Day. I just couldn't stop. I loved your analogy of why, how you wanted to wash the why away and also giving it its own personality of importance and doing what he wants you to do when he wants you to do it. I found it interesting that he had a male gender. You are a gifted writer. Thank you so much for this message. So those of you who listened to episode 72 two weeks ago, those were chapters 18 and 19. And chapter 19 is entitled Why? And you meet this character, Mr. Why. And so if you haven't listened to those, you might want to go back and grab those two chapters before listening to the rest of this today, which is chapter 20 and 21. So with that bit of a setup, here are chapters 20 and 21 of Lies of the Magpie. Lies of the Magpie, Chapter 20, Blessing Day. Tomorrow there will be 40-plus extended family and friends gathered at a special church service to witness Jack's baby blessing, which is like a Catholic christening but without the godparents nor the baptism. Afterward, this crowd of 40 will be hungry, and whose job will it be to feed them? Mine. I wonder if other postpartum Mormon mothers around the world, like me, are planning food, rounding up extra tables and chairs, and prepping to feed a Mormon army. Tanner's blessing was held in Arizona, and Denise volunteered to host the luncheon at her house and to cook all the food. I enjoyed the day immensely. But since we're already in Utah for the wedding, and most of our family is here, everyone except Anise, ironically, we decided to have Jack's baby blessing at my parents' church in Salt Lake City. This infelicitous conglomeration of events requires me to organize a transportable celebration. Even at home with my own pots and pans, I'm a shaky meal planner. Hosting has never been my strong suit. Working with borrowed kitchen utensils pilfered from Helen's cupboards, I need to prepare a meal that can be hauled to the reception room of my parents' condo building. The food must stay warm or cold, as needed, during the service and be ready to serve the minute church ends. Also, the cost must remain below budget. What can I do to help? Helen asks again. I think I've got it covered. Translation, I have nothing planned. Could I borrow your slow cooker? 
That afternoon, Aaron pulls van keys from his pocket so I can go to Costco. I'd cornered him alone downstairs. We need to decide what we're serving for lunch tomorrow, I fire at him. This was news to him. Up to that point, he'd been unaware such a decision existed. Isn't everybody bringing something? Yes, everyone is bringing potluck salads and desserts, but we need to provide the main dish and drinks. Let's get meat and cheese trays. Aaron has the resolution to the dilemma. That would be the easiest, but it would be expensive. Shredded pork would be less expensive, and it would be more formal. Do pork, then, Aaron answers simply. But it isn't simple. Grabbing Laya to come along, we drive to the Provo Costco, and on the way try to remember the recipe to Anissa's special Sunday pork roast, then graph how many pounds of meat will fit in a standard crockpot. Is it one quarter pound of meat serving per person? That doesn't sound like enough. Maybe it's one half pound per person? No, that sounds like too much. While I attempt to calculate, Laya makes a list of my sisters-in-law who live the closest so I can call to borrow their slow cookers. We traipse to the back of Costco and scour the meat chests, but the Provo store doesn't carry the same pork product as my Glendale store. Could I buy the pork at a grocery store, Laya asks, but I don't know what kind of pork I get from Costco. Pork loin roast, pork butt roast, pork shoulder roast, pork shoulder butt, pork belly, pork rinds. All I know is my cart swings past the meat section, my hand grabs the pork, packaged three per pack, from the end chest, because that's where Anise told me to find it. Then I push my cart into the dairy freezer to grab milk. Butchers go to school to learn the various cuts of meat. The only thing I know about meat is that other women's pork roasts turn out tender, juicy, and delicious, and mine are dry, chewy, and tasteless, unless I use this particular pork from Costco. Substituting grocery store pork is too risky. Laya and I drive along back roads, hammering out the pros and cons of other edible options. You've had nine months to prepare for this blessing, and you're just now getting around to planning food? I know, I know. It's not that I haven't thought about it. I've lost sleep fretting about this meal, but like most things, the fretting didn't lead to getting anything done. Laya doesn't even have to say how I'd score on preparedness. Jack's baby blessing is like the ultimate test of all the mothering skills I'm supposed to possess. Planning, decorating, cooking, hosting, taking care of everyone's needs, and doing it all with poise, grace, a smile on my face, and a body that doesn't look like you just had a baby three weeks ago. Everyone will be watching to see how I manage the day, and by everyone, I mean all the mothering judges. I thought the judges would ease off once I started working the magazine and became more than just a stay-at-home mom, but on the contrary, the pressure is higher to see how I'm managing adding a fourth baby and running a business. The mill should be somewhat fancy. I can't throw out hot dogs and bags of potato chips on a plastic table cover. What would people think? Delicious food, transferable pots, cheap and elegant. The conditions are too complicated under the best of circumstances. And here I am with boobs hard as coconuts, my chachi stitched in the pattern of a French landmark, and my hormones teetering between depletion and surging. With hands trembling around the steering wheel, I turn by mistake onto a long, unpaved road that takes me east toward the mountains, a long way from where I need to be. My heart beats in my throat. My mental circuits are shorting out. I am sizzling, sparking, threatening to explode. Hours later, Laya and I return empty-handed.
It's late when Aaron walks me to the deli counter of the local grocery store, where I stare blankly, like a wounded vet with post-traumatic stress disorder, at the varieties of meats. The meats and cheeses are on sale. In the end, Aaron places the order for a tally less than the cost of pork roast. Fifteen minutes and the task is done. Too easily, we slide the prepared trays in the fridge and go to bed, when I expected to be awake all night seasoning, cooking, and shredding pork. The day after Jack's blessing, the kids want to meet up with cousins at a dinosaur park. I want one day to recuperate, but remembering the hike, I say, sure. For the rest of the summer, we visit museums and water parks and go see the wild buffalo on Antelope Island. We go to outdoor concerts and indoor playgrounds. We end July by doing the perfect activity for a woman sporting more pads than the Kotex aisle at Walmart. We go camping. At my big Mormon family reunion, Kate finds me seated on a couch in a corner of the lodge and lays her head on the part of my lap not occupied by Jack. I extend his blanket to cover her shoulders. Are you worn out from all the commotion, little biddy? She nods and I smooth her hair and caress her cheeks. In no time, she is sound asleep, snoring loudly. My cousin Trinity walks toward me. Is this the napping couch? I could use a nap. Trinity moves a pillow and sits. Is Kate making that noise? She always snores like this, I say. I thought it was the air conditioner. Trinity leans over Kate and studies her breathing. Does she have big tonsils? Huge, I answer. Her tonsils cover the back of her throat. I don't know how she can swallow anything. She sounds like my oldest. Anna used to snore so loud we had to wear earplugs at night. What did you do? Ear, nose, and throat specialist. Took out her tonsils, adenoids, and put in ear tubes. Best thing we ever did. She sleeps so quiet now, I check to make sure she's breathing. No more purple bags under her eyes, and more energy for school. Kate's ragged breathing and purple eye rings have worried me for a while, but I've asked every pediatrician and they insist she's fine. Trinity's comments reaffirm that Kate is not fine, and when we get back to Arizona, I will be looking for a good ear, nose, and throat specialist. Chapter 21. Burning Up on Reentry. The skyline above the Rocky Mountains is dark and speckled with morning stars as Aaron pulls the van onto the road. Somewhere in that vast sky, the International Space Station hovers. The astronauts sip morning coffee through a straw inserted into an airtight plastic bag, gazing at Earth and watching one of the 16 sunrises or sunsets that mark one day in space. They gaze at Earth as I gaze at the stars. Twelve years earlier, the Honorable Senator Jake Garn spoke to my college about his voyage as the first member of Congress to space. He said, The beauty of the Earth from space is impossible to describe, but he must have described it in exquisite detail because I sat in the lecture hall enraptured by a vision of Earth all green and blue with a halo-like glow, as if the planet herself were a celestial being with aura, intelligence, and spirit. An angel. Mother Earth. No political boundaries, no war zones, no prisons, only the glory and perfection of Earth's pure potential without the clutter of human failings. This is how I feel leaning my forehead against the cool, dew-misted passenger window, listening to the low hum of the van engine. I am orbiting my life, 
hovering in the space between our summer moon and our return to planet Earth, hoping we don't burn up on re-entry. Aaron steers the van through the streets of downtown Salt Lake City, then accelerates, climbing the on-ramp for southbound I-15, only 421 miles to Las Vegas. Tilting my head against the cool window, I watch my breath form clouds on the glass. I will miss the cool, crisp Utah mornings. The only thing crisp about Arizona summer mornings is the bacon you can fry on the hood of your car for breakfast. In the back seat, Kate and Danny lean together, supporting each other's weight with a pillow in between. Tanner has fallen asleep sucking his two middle fingers, his head leaned against the side of his car seat. Jack sucks his thumb. There's no telling how long this rare delicacy of silence will last. This summer has been everything we've wanted for our kids. Adventure, outdoor exploration, night games, and no backyard fences. Now we need routine. Jack needs his own bed. We all do. Most of all, I look forward to nursing Jack in the open privacy of my own home without worrying about a brother-in-law catching a glimpse of exposed breast. We have experienced a child's dream summer. Now it's time for Aaron and me to start living our dream. A smile turns up my lips as I realize that starting Monday morning, Aaron will no longer go to an office leaving me home feeling isolated and trapped within my own four walls until 5 o'clock p.m. He will be home to help with the morning routine. Breakfast, finding shoes, brushing teeth, scrubbing spilled toothpaste out of carpet. I won't have to find a babysitter for dentist appointments or when I volunteer in Danny's classroom. He'll be home in the afternoon so I can teach a full, uninterrupted 30-minute piano lesson while Aaron refills sippy cups, changes stinky diapers, and... A jolt of giddiness leaps from my chest. Makes dinner. Aaron and I have talked about working together from home for years, and now it's finally happening. My smile grows full-sized and spreads up my cheeks, changing the shape of the exhalation clouds on the window. What's wrong? Aaron asks about the strange sound escaping my throat. I reach over and touch his leg softly. Not a thing. I'm thinking about Monday when you, Mr. Warner, do not have to go to work. I pat his knee silently, but with the vigor of a congratulatory handshake. What do you think about that? It's weird. I'm excited. His eyes sparkle and my smile spreads to his lips. We share smiles, each tickled with our own little fantasies of what Monday means. I'm thinking how Aaron will teach me layout and design, which I will do from our home office in between feeding Jack while he takes over the pavement-pounding ad sales job. I'll venture down to Goodyear once, maybe twice a week, to meet with my current customers and maybe sell a new ad here and there, but I'm happy to let Aaron take over worrying about increasing our advertising revenue. He is the trained salesman. In my mind, Aaron is envisioning the exact dream that I am, but when he speaks, he talks about something else entirely. Did I tell you about my new business idea? he whispers. Which one? I tease. If he had a dozen Methuselah lifetimes, Aaron couldn't touch a fraction of his business brainstorms. Monday is a sort of independence day for Aaron. He will have eight hours of unscheduled, unobligated daytime hours to pursue ideas that have been simmering on his brain's back burner for the past six years. 
his eyes practically shine with the prospects of his newfound freedom. This long drive would be the perfect opportunity for Aaron and me to plan our new life. With hours to talk, we could set boundaries, clarify expectations, divide household chores, and designate office hours. Who will get Danny and Kate ready for school, do Tanner's morning routine, drive carpool, fix meals, wash dishes, oversee nap time, help with homework, be on call for emergencies? I'm ready for life to settle down. Starting Monday, Aaron will be home to help manage the herd, and I can step back from the harrowing pace of the past six months. But... It never occurs to either of us to have that conversation. We are both riding confidently on the presumption that, come Monday, we are finally going to have exactly what we've each wanted. So when Danny and Kate wake up and beg for the audiobook, we oblige. This summer we've passed the miles across Utah and Idaho by listening to Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. It's a colorfully deplorable children's tale about the Baudelaire orphans who are left in the care of a sequence of bumbling adults who should be all the wiser about the obvious trouble before their eyes, but who, for various reasons, remain ignorant to the children's cues for help. We last left off with the Baudelaire orphans watching their Aunt Josephine disappear into the dark, leech-infested waters of Lake Lacrimose, with Count Olaf and silly Mr. Poe waiting to ship them off to their next distant relative. Aaron presses the play button, adjusts the volume. All is silent. From the back, I can practically hear Kate and Danny holding their breath, wondering why the CD isn't playing yet. The seconds pass, and the tires churn the road beneath us as we wait for the narrator to reveal the next series of unfortunate events. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for listening to these audio sample chapters of Lies of the Magpie. It is available now on Amazon. I think it is still on sale on Amazon for $5 off the list price. So you may want to click on that right away because that is expiring this week, I believe. All right. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic week and I will meet you back here for another great episode of The Power Podcast. Bye-bye.